Welcome to From the Source with Frankie and Sarah from Baker Tilly KDN. This podcast is about helping business owners and entrepreneurs understand and overcome their tax planning challenges. Join us for this journey as Frankie Loretto and Sarah Netley draw from years of expertise and guest experts to help make complex tax planning concepts make sense. Hello, hello, and welcome back to From the Source with Frankie and Sarah. So today we have some good news, but we also have some bad news for our listeners. So the bad news is we're missing our fabulous co-host, Miss Wendy McConnell. Sad. Hit the violins. But the good news is in our place, we've got our very first special guest. Sarah, who do we got with us today? Yeah, so we're really excited to have our inaugural guest on this podcast. We have Scott Sonley, who is a fellow partner here at Baker Tilly KDN. And we're so happy that he agreed to be our guinea pig and help us figure out how we have a guest on this uh, podcast. So welcome, Scott. Hi, and thanks very much for having me. So not only are you a partner at the firm, but you are also our go-to for everything valuations. And just as Frankie and I started here as co-op students, so did you. So you've been here for a while, just like we have. Uh, Do you want to give the listeners a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. Uh, I did actually start back uh, with a predecessor firm for our firm as a co-op student back in about 2002. Then I rejoined the firm in 2008. At the time, we were really identified that we needed a a business valuator on staff. So I agreed to work towards my CBV or Chartered Business Valuators designation. And I now lead the business valuation practice for our firm and became partner earlier this year. And so thank you so much for agreeing to be here with us today as our first guest. He's a lifer, just like the rest of us. Exactly. (laughs) You didn't really give me a choice, but (laughs) in all seriousness, (laughs) I'm pretty happy to be here. Um, I know in your previous episodes, you've talked about a lot of things for owner-managed businesses to consider, and valuations is definitely an important one. Yeah, for sure. Just in our last episode, we talked about how owner-managers can exit their business. We talked a little bit about how the way you exit your business can impact the price and that comparative to the value. So we're so happy to have you on, Scott, to talk all things valuations. So some of the stuff we're going to cover today will be why do you need evaluation? How do you do evaluation? We won't get too much into that, Scott. That's why people hire you. (laughs) But most importantly, we're going to talk about how do you maximize your value as a business owner? So to get things started, we'll start with question number one of many. Uh, How or why, should I say, do business owners need valuation, Scott? When do they call you? Well, we do provide business valuations for a variety of reasons. Generally speaking, we can break those down between mainly positive situations, which would include tax planning, corporate reorganizations, estate or succession planning, buy or sell transactions or negotiations. But we can also be asked to assist in other situations that maybe aren't quite as positive, such as the incapacity or death of a shareholder or disputes, the most common being shareholder disputes for shareholders that can no longer get along or for family law purposes for a shareholder going through a separation or divorce. And interestingly, all of those scenarios that you just outlined have a tax implication. So it's very common that, you know, we're working with you with the client to ensure that, you know, the value of their business is appropriate for, you know, the transaction that they're undertaking and also to make sure the tax implications are hopefully minimized for that client. So I'm going to ask you a pretty loaded question. And that question is, how are businesses valued? So how do you look at the valuation approaches? 
So unfortunately, there's no single valuation approach that can be used to value every type of business. It'd be a lot easier if there was. <laughs> In practice, there's literally hundreds of valuation approaches that can be used to value a particular business. Yeah. So as much as we would absolutely love to talk to you about the hundreds of valuations approaches, we probably need three days to do that. And I don't think I have the brain capacity for that. So is there a way that you could simplify the approaches for our listeners? I could certainly try. So we we can broadly categorize business valuations under two umbrellas, two types, asset approaches and income approaches. An asset approach really focuses on the business's balance sheet at the valuation date, considers adjustments to assets and liabilities from the accounting netbook value to market value. And in most cases, asset approaches would not result in any significant intangible or goodwill value being recognized. So is it fair to say that this asset approach is similar to a liquidation? The business owner puts up a sign, says they're going out of sale, and they just start selling off assets to close down shop? Well, a liquidation approach is certainly one type of asset approaches, but there are other type of asset approaches that can be considered as well. The other main type we're going to be discussing here today is uh, income approaches, which would focus on the business's earnings, maybe revenue, gross margin, net income, EBIT, which is earnings before interest and taxes, or EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So it seems like there's a lot. And you're the professional, you're the CBV, Scott, so we don't really need to know all the details of it. So I'm going to give you your first real challenge of the day. Are you ready? Because here we go. In 10 words or less, what is the main difference between an asset approach versus an income approach? So an asset approach focuses on the balance sheet and an income approach really focuses on the income statement. I think that was a few more than 10 words, but (laughs) we'll give you a pass this time. Okay, let me retry. Assets equals balance sheet, income equals income statement. I think that's eight words. <laughs> Perfect. Well done. So yeah, yes. that's that's everyone's accounting 101 lesson for today. Accounting exactly. 101 with Scott Sonley. That'll be our next <laughs> episode. Okay. So we have two approaches. So how does one determine, and by one, I mean you, Scott, uh, which approach should be used? So... In general, asset approaches should always be considered, regardless of the type of business. It's a starting point. Need to consider asset approaches in all cases. Whether or not an income approach is appropriate really depends upon the specifics of the situation and that particular business. So, for example, an income approach may not be appropriate where a business does not have any active operations or for a business that is relying upon one key individual or for a business where there's many competitors in place and all revenues tied to a competitive bidding or tendering process. When both asset approaches and income approaches are considered appropriate, the fair market value for that business should be based on the highest value determined by all appropriate approaches. I sometimes give my clients this example. We are the owners in our business. As of today, we have net assets invested in our business that have a market value of a million dollars. That is the value of our business based on an asset approach is $1 million. However, our business is only generating annual after-tax profits of $5,000 or 0.5% return on the market value of our assets. In this situation, we're going to value our business using an asset approach. This is because in order for an income approach to make any sense and result in a value of a million dollars or more, our multiple has to be 200 times or more, which is not a realistic multiple for after-tax profits. I'm sure we'll talk more about valuation multiples a bit later. I'm sure. Okay. So what I'm hearing and I'm going to really simplify this because ironically enough, I'm on this podcast, but I'm not an audible learner. So I have to repeat it back to you. So 
if the income is too low, an income approach is not going to make sense. That's what I'm hearing. Your asset approach is is your floor. You know, so these are the assets I own. What's the price I'm going to get for them if I sell them? So I'm not going to sell my business for less than I can get my assets for if I throw them on Kijiji. That makes sense. Am I on the right track, Scott, or am I completely lost? No, you're on the right track. The asset approach does represent a floor. Um, but if your business is active, doesn't rely on solely one key individual and is generating a reasonable return on the assets, generally you're going to be valued on some type of an income approach. For most active businesses, an income approach would be the most common valuation approach. Okay. Okay. So income approach, I'm getting more money. I'm going to simplify that. So let's focus on the income approach going forward. And obviously not all businesses are the same and probably the most obvious way to differentiate businesses are via the various industries that they could be in. So does the type of industry impact, say, the income approach type that you would use in the valuation? Certainly. Within certain industries, there may be rules of thumb that are utilized. Some examples include insurance brokerages tend to transact on multiples of commissions revenue. Professional service practices tend to transact as a percentage of annual recurring revenue. One of the most common approaches we're currently seeing in the market and utilized by many potential buyers, even business owners, would be a multiple of normalized EBITDA, which from before we said was earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. I should mention that business valuators don't generally rely on rules of thumb as a primary valuation approach, but they can be used to assess the results of other valuation approaches. Caution should always be taken when utilizing rules of thumb. Um, because a multiple of EBITDA has become such a common approach in practice, we're going to spend some additional time discussing this later. Yeah, I think that's a, a valid point because I think we often get clients calling saying, what's the value of my business? You know, it's a multiple of my earnings and it's it's probably not that simple, right? So if I'm understanding your point, Scott, with the rule of thumb, the downfall is it assumes every business in that industry is identical. Is that correct? That's correct. And unfortunately, even inside the same industry, there could be very significant differences between two businesses. So the multiple used in a rule of thumb would be applied to a particular line item on that business's income statement, which may be revenue, gross profits, EBITDA, for example. And further, the businesses in that same industry all have that have the same revenue and earnings all have the same value, which may or may not be appropriate. A quick example, if we have two businesses in the exact same industry having identical revenue and earnings, applying that rule of thumb to the two businesses should result in the same value. However, one business may have all brand new equipment and the second business may have equipment that needs to be replaced urgently. Which of those two would you rather acquire? Unless this is a trick question, I think I would rather have the business with the new assets, right? There's not an impending need for a significant you know, capital expenditure uh, line item. So hopefully I'm getting your point. Is that right? So there's no trick here. Okay, good. Absolutely. Oof. The business with the brand new equipment should have more value. And that's just one of many factors that go into the impact on value in the business. Amazing. Now that we've covered the basics on how to value your business, let's get to uh, what our listeners probably are tuned in for. So Scott, let's talk about how an owner can maximize the value of their business. So in order to simplify this discussion, I'm really going to focus on just one approach here. So again, because a multiple of EBITDA has become such a common approach in practice, we're going to focus on that approach here. So for a multiple of EBITDA approach, there's really two main factors that go into the value of a business normalized EBITDA, and the multiple. 
Okay. So maybe let's break down the differences between EBITDA and normalized EBITDA for our listeners. So there's definitely a difference here. And it's very important to understand when utilizing such an approach that EBITDA and normalized EBITDA are not the same thing. One of the reasons that EBITDA has become so widely utilized in practice as an indicator of value is that it can be calculated very quickly from any set of financial statements. However, particularly when working with owner-operated businesses, the EBITDA noted in the financial statements may not be an appropriate indication of the earnings or cash flow of that business that a notional purchaser might be able to generate going forward in the future for various reasons. As a result, financial statements, EBITDA, often gets adjusted or normalized. So some of the most common normalizations relate to management compensation, non-arm's length transactions, or transactions with related parties such as rent, purchases, or sales completed at non-market rates, non-recurring or unusual transactions, unreported or cash income, and discretionary expenses such as the owner's personal expenses, meals, entertainment, etc. We never have clients put personal expenses through their business. That yeah. never happens. Yeah, I've never seen that. Never. Never. So it sounds like there's a lot to consider and a, a bunch of things that could potentially need to be you know, normalized when you're looking at an individual set of financial statements and, and financial information. I'm going to put you on the spot again, if I probably have already, but I'm going to put you on the spot again. Can you give us an example of a scenario? Say one of the most common normalization adjustments, just kind of walk us through one. Sure. So probably the most common normalization that we would see with owner-operated businesses would be a normalization of management compensation. So Business owners that also manage the business have choices as to how much of their compensation gets expensed in the income statement. Particularly where the business is incorporated, they could choose to bonus all of the profits of the business out. Alternatively, they may instead decide to expense no amount as management compensation. And they could also make a choice to expense anywhere between those two extremes. So if we had 10 businesses in the same industry, same revenue, same earnings before management compensation, the business owners for those 10 businesses might each choose a different level of compensation to expense in that business. As a result, the financial statement EBITDA could be very different for each business. To normalize management compensation, we would add back the amount that was actually expensed for each shareholder and other family members in the income statement, and then deduct the market value the business should have paid or expensed to hire an arm's length third party, an unrelated person, to provide those services required by the business. So where 10 businesses with the same revenue and earnings before considering that normalization might have very different EBITDA, the normalized EBITDA should be consistent. The point of normalizations is really to restate the financial statements by adjusting or normalizing any non-recurring, unusual, or transactions that were performed at other than market values. So I think I can think of an example that's kind of the same but different. So in one of our earlier episodes, we talked about owner-manager remuneration or compensation, if you will. So let's say you're preparing a valuation for business A, and the owner of that business has only ever paid themselves dividends. So if we recall, so they didn't take any salary. Let's just be clear, all dividends. So if we recall from that previous episode, I can't remember which number. So you guys are going to have to go back and listen to all of them to find which one I'm talking about. Um, we remember that dividends don't actually hit our income statement. They're not a deduction of the corp. They come right out of retained earnings. So it wouldn't hit net income or we'll use your favorite term, Scott, EBITDA. If you were to take business B and say the owner has never taken dividends, they always take the exact same dollar amount. 
So we're comparing the same dollars, but it's always been in salary, which is expensed. If you compare the EBITDA of business A, it's going to be a lot higher than the EBITDA of business B. So that would be an example of a normalization, right? Like it's not so much the compensation is the same dollar amount, but the way it's hitting the EBITDA is completely different, right? That's right, right. Because we're starting with EBITDA and doing a multiple of EBITDA. If it's not included in the EBITDA, again, that normalization is intended to get us back to the point where we can compare those two businesses and have a similar starting point. Right. So advice to our people is you can't increase the value of your business by just taking dividends instead of salary. Exactly. It all gets adjusted and and factored. And I think that was a really great example. And so maybe this is an obvious answer to my next question. But if a business owner wants to increase their normalized EBITDA to help maximize value, like what should they be doing and what should they be looking at? Well, for the most part here, we're really talking about growing our business. So specifically, business owners should be looking at growing revenue while maintaining or improving gross margin and ensuring operating costs are kept under control. So you don't want to just grow your revenue for the sake of growing revenue, right? Like if you're going to increase your top line revenue, you want to make sure that's trickling down and increasing profits, right? Like you're not going to you're not going to improve value if you've grown revenue from a million to 2 million but are still only making $500,000 of profit at the end of the day. That's correct. So we talked about two parts, right? We talked a bit about the normalized EBITDA. You said the second part is the multiple. So can we do anything as a business owner to improve the multiple, increase the multiple? So the multiple being applied is generally a factor of the risks involved with a particular business. The lower the risk, the higher the multiple, the higher the risk, the lower the multiple. Right. And risk is a tricky area, right? You've got so many different areas of risk, so many different ways, you know, to identify how much risk do I want to take on? Can I even control, you know, the impact of that risk if it hits? Can I mitigate those risks? So I guess the point I'm trying to get across here is it sounds like, you know, it's a difficult thing to control. So how much control do we really have over that risk? I don't even know if you can answer that question. (laughs) So there are a lot of risks that get considered, such as the size of the business, the industry in which that business operates, general economic environment, volatility in earnings, relationships that that business has with its customers, suppliers, and employees, the strength and depth of the management team, pipeline of projects, barriers to entry, growth potential, amongst many, many other factors. So I'm overwhelmed. (laughs) Certainly some of those uh, risks get considered, but they may not be in the direct control of business owners. Uh, Most notably, if we're talking about the current state of the economy and perhaps factors impact in the industry, or industries that the business operates, we, we may not have direct control of those. But even if it's not directly in the control of that particular business owner, purchasers are generally willing to pay more for businesses that are proactive versus reactive when considering risk. So even where it may, it may not be directly within our control, if it's something significant were to happen in the economy or directly in our industry, mm-hmm. do we have any contingency plans in place to consider that? So making improvements to your business may result in both components, both the normalized EBITDA and the multiple, improving at the same time and therefore dramatically increasing the value of the business going forward. So you're getting some bang for your buck there if you can impact both sides of that equation. All right. So we've got a lot of information here. And I know I want to make sure we use the last little bit of this podcast to give our listeners as much 
information as we possibly can about how to increase the value or to maximize the value of their business. So Scott, I'm pushing it right back on you. Give us some ideas. How do we maximize the value of our business? Sure. So I did do a presentation recently where I considered various factors, positive and negative, that would impact value. And I gave a summary of seven points where I thought business owners could focus to really focus on maximizing the value of their business. So I'm going to go through these in order. Number one, we really want to be growing our business in terms of revenue, profitability, and number of employees. Number two, we really want to be developing long-lasting customer relationships supported by contracts and not be dependent upon any one customer or industry. Do you mind just explaining why being dependent on one customer or industry can have an impact on your value? Sure. So being dependent upon one key customer or industry creates some additional risk for that business and may lower the multiple. So we don't really want all of our eggs in one basket. What would be to happen to our business if something were to happen to that key customer or if there's a significant change or disruption in that industry? Um, Some other factors we want to consider here are, number three, we want a history of sustainable earnings or growth. So I guess a question I have on that point is, when you're working on evaluation, you're preparing evaluation for a client, how many years are you looking, how many prior year financial statements do you look at in preparing that valuation report? Yeah, so in most business valuations, we look at a minimum of the last five years financial results, but we give more weight to the most recent years. Okay, that's good to know. So moving back into our list, number four, we want a strong management team capable of meeting forecasts. Number five, we want to have a pipeline of projects or contracts. Number six, we really want diversification in our products and services as well as our geographic locations. And number seven, we want to create barriers to entry that through brand recognition, dominant market share, or level of investment required to compete, we're making sure that others can't come into our market. So another item that didn't actually make my list, but I think is more important now than ever, and I think feels should be mentioned, is ensure that your accounting records and systems are really strengthened well in advance of any potential transaction. You know, this may mean looking at your internal accounting and making improvements. It may also look at upgrading your year-end financial statements to at least a review engagement. Uh, we've seen a number of recent transactions um, that have had difficulties due to weaknesses in the clients' internal accounting practices. Yeah, this kind of goes back to our last episode, Sarah, if you remember, we talked a bit about the due diligence process when you're selling to a third party and how cumbersome it can be. So the importance of having strong financial information can make your life a lot easier going through that process. Definitely, you know, it's, you know, I guess I shouldn't say this as accountants, but it's probably the least fun aspect, <laughs> but it's so important. It's so, so important. So Scott, that that's a really good summary of you know key factors that our listeners can take away and hopefully start thinking through in their business. Any other kind of uh, last bit of advice for listeners just before we wrap up? Sure. So for every business owner listening right now, I want each of you to ask yourselves, What would be to happen to my business if something were to happen to me? For example, do any of your existing relationships with employees, customers, suppliers, or creditors depend on your direct involvement? Do you act as the main point of contact for any key customers or suppliers? If you were unreachable for an extended period of time, would the business be negatively impacted? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, the value of your business may be negatively impacted. There may be steps that you can take to overcome this, but they take time to implement. To maximize the value of your business, you must be willing to give up at least some control and delegate. I know it's cliche, but you need to be working on the business, not just in it. Many business owners are too busy dealing with the day-to-day operations that they can't find the time to devote to improving the overall business. If you want to maximize the value of your business, it's imperative that you start planning ahead. So maybe for some of our listeners who are business owners that are kind of knee-deep in the day-to-day, this is Scott telling you to go to Florida for a month and step away and see what happens. But to be honest, though, Scott, I think it's it's really important because you're hitting on a theme that I think has just inadvertently come up on our other episodes um, in this podcast. And that is the importance of planning well in advance, right? Not just waiting till you have an offer in hand or you have some impending transaction to start thinking about these things, really put these things at the forefront early on. It's hard because it's not in our nature, right? It's human nature to procrastinate, procrastinate. Like there's so much going on, especially if you're so involved in the day to day. There'll be tons of fires for you to put out that will distract from the big things that you really need to be proactive and get ahead on. So it's not playing catch up at the end and potentially negatively impacting your value because of that. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned it, and I know you mentioned it in jest, but going away to Florida for a month. You know, a month might be excessive, but we have recommended to clients to step away from their business for a period of time and see how that business can run without them and then extend that period of time to a week and then to a month and so on. So while it was probably a joke, it is actually advice that can be used in practice. Everyone's going to be booking flights to Florida now. (laughs) Yeah. So in my opinion, all business owners should really be thinking about maximizing value as soon as possible. Even if you plan to run your business for many years, none of us have a crystal ball and plans change. So sometimes the result of forces that are really outside of our control, such as an accident, an illness, or other life-altering event. And I think we see that a lot where plans change and we're getting involved because something has changed. Absolutely. Well, you know what? I think we're just about out of time. Scott, thank you so, so much for all of your advice. We're absolutely going to have to have you come back. There's a lot more knowledge in that brain of yours that we want to share with everybody. So thank you so, so much. Thanks, Scott. All right. Thanks very much for having me. All right. So lots of homework for our listeners. If you want to find Scott, myself, or Sarah, please reach out to us at our website, which is curtis.bakertilly.ca, or give us a call at the office at 905-579-5659. See you next time. Thank you for listening to From the Source with Frankie and Sarah. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at curtis.bakertilly.ca, or give us a call at 905 905- The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Frankie Loretto, Sarah Netley, or Baker Tilly KDN. Baker Tilly KDN LLP is a member of the Baker Tilly Canada Cooperative, which is a member of the Global Network of Baker Tilly International Limited. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional accounting advice. Always seek the advice of your chartered professional accountant or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your tax planning.